Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Morgan Keldson, a renowned international business development and retail expert. With a career spanning over two decades, Morgan has worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, including Nike, Converse, and Vans. Today, he offers his expertise to organizations in the athletic and fashion lifestyle space, helping them navigate the complex business landscape of the Asia-Pacific region. For brands without existing relationships in the Asian market, this episode provides tactics and strategies to help them enter the market successfully. This episode starts off by taking a deep dive into the history and growth of Stussy, a popular streetwear brand that Morgan worked with, helping them in APAC. We explore how the company transformed from a wholesale-focused business to a direct-to-consumer model by tightening its distribution. The conversation also touches on the significance of choosing the right collaboration partner in Asia and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the fashion and lifestyle industry, which, among other things, exposed companies who suffered from poor relationships, especially in Asia, where so much of the world's supply chain is managed. We then hear from Morgan about his experiences navigating the pandemic while working at Vans. Finally, we discuss the potential of the metaverse as a marketing tool in Asia and the future of consumer behavior in the APAC region. Enjoy. When you look at the history of brands that I think in the last five to 10 to 15 years that have done a good job of starting at a core place and then expanding in the right way, I think it really is first off knowing who your target consumer is and really making sure you stay true and focused on them getting into the communities that you're trying to get into. And and that's not just about transactions. It's about being connected to those consumers and the community members that you want to be a part of. And then I think it's also being realistic about how fast you can grow given the size of your organization and given the amount of investment it takes, not only financial, but also just manpower and hours to get into multiple markets. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Let's move on to work that you did with Stussy. And so being somewhat lesser known, and I don't think that's that's any shade on Stussy when we're talking about Nike, uh, <laughs> everybody's lesser known. Tell us a little bit and, and explain to the audience exactly what the Stussy brand is and share some of your experiences that you had working there in the Asia Pacific region. Yeah, so Stussy was an extremely exciting opportunity for me because it's a brand I grew up with. Um, you know, for, for people that know, if you do the research, you find out that Stussy really is the OG streetwear brand. Um, founded in 1980 by Sean Stussy, um, a surfboard shaper. Um, it, it's a very authentic brand that comes from uh, originally surf culture, Southern California, uh, but right away got into skate, into music. And, um, you know, one of the amazing things 
thinking back to that early days, those early days was they very early on had connections into the UK and into Japan, into these organic communities uh, tied, again, to skate, to surf, to music, to art, um, early, early adopted by a lot of people. And um, when you look at everything from Supreme to all the streetwear brands that have come after, um, everyone gives respect to Stussy as that OG brand. What was, if you can share, market size and the exposure that Susie had to the market in, in Asia Pacific as you arrived versus when you left? Yeah, the, the, the cool thing about Stussy is, I think, again, people that know, know, but being that it's a privately held family run company, um, you know, they've, they've kept the business purposely very small. I think it's, you know, if for anybody that's worked in a, in a publicly traded company, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive. But when I came in, a lot of the strategy was to, um, really just sharpen the focus, which, um, was, really had shifted from a, a legacy wholesale business, um, whether it was in North America or in Europe or in Asia, a lot of the business that was done was through multi-brand. Um, but also coincidentally, this is, you know, mid 2010s, uh, the focus on DTC brands was getting sharper and sharper. And just the, the team and headquarters had a vision that wanted to keep it and bring it back more to the DTC area. So, I was lucky because in APAC, we had a 30-year partner in Japan, a 20-year partner in Australia, a 15-year partner in Korea that had really taken great care of the brand, done all the right things. And so my role was really to come in and help those those markets where we had a longstanding partnership just tie more closely to global, whether it was product, whether it was marketing, uh, and then really focused on our e-commerce and our stores. And the Stussy strategy is not to have hundreds and hundreds of stores. It's much more the get those key locations that you want to have one store in that's about community, that's about representing the brand. So we focused on those doors. And then my part that was extra exciting was finding new partners in other markets where Stussy hadn't been before. So whether it was Hong Kong or getting into some pinnacle distribution across Southeast Asia, uh, getting up into China. So we now have a store in Shanghai and in Beijing. Um, and, and so it was, it was, again, more connecting it to the global strategy, which happened to be about tightening distribution. So there was a lot of wholesale that mm. Stussy used to be in that they moved away from in order to focus much more on being a DTC um, really led brand. If you're a brand owner or brand decision maker somewhere near the level of Stussy, given your four years there, and you alluded to some of the tactics and strategies that you were using, the work that you were doing, could you pass along any other nuggets of wisdom? It's a little bit different because like you said, Stussy had long, long standing relationships. So some of the brands that might be listening may not have those. So you can try to blend that answer, knowing that maybe not everybody's going to have that if they're looking to enter that region. But, you know, maybe just some advice and some wisdom on some of the tactics and strategies or experiences that you had in your role during that time that you could pass along. Yeah. And I think your, your point is, is really a critical one is that, you know, similar to Nike, if, if you're a brand that has been around for 40 years and has established themselves as that authentic brand, it, 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 in some ways it's easier. In a lot of ways, it's easier than if you're starting off from scratch, if you're a young brand. I think that when you look at the history of brands that I think in the last five to 10 to 15 years that have done a good job, um, of starting at a core place and then expanding, um, in the right way, I think it 
it really is first off knowing who your target consumer is and and really making sure you stay true and focused on them um, getting into the communities that you're trying to get into and and that's not just about transactions it's about being connected to those consumers and the community members that you want to be a part of. Um, and then I think it's also being realistic about how fast you can grow given the size of your organization and given the amount of investment it takes, not only financial, but also just manpower and hours to get into multiple markets. So I, I think a lot of it really has to come back. And, and a word I've used you know, a lot through this conversation is authenticity. If you start, what's the reason for your brand to be? And then who are you targeting and how do you connect with them? I think that everybody starts from one market. So if you're core market and you're connected and you're authentic there, that's the most critical part. But then as you decide you want to go broader, what's the reason you're going into those other markets and why do those consumers, why would they want you given that there's going to be a lot of other options for what you offer? We've seen a lot of brands. I mean, when I was in Asia, I saw a ton, a ton of new brands coming out. And I would say, um, as a consumer, I, I lacked some trust. I didn't feel or know their personality or their soul. And if I didn't know that and I didn't feel that, I felt that perhaps there was some opportunistic mechanisms at play that we're just trying to take my money. So I, I do a hundred percent agree with that approach and thesis of, of, of really being authentic and, and you have to know why you're there and you have to know why consumers should be interested in you or your product and, and what you stand for and what you're all about. Exactly. And I, and I think if you don't know that that's first step <laughs> is figuring that out. <laughs> totally true. Okay, so I want to get to Vans. Vans is is really interesting. One, you moved over to Vans just pre-COVID. Okay, so there's really interesting things in there because that was, I don't care if you have, you know, 300 years of experience. That's going to be something that you have to face with a, almost a new set of eyes because very few things that have happened in this the history of this life have, have kind of met us at this time with technology at that stage uh, not being able to move about and whatnot. So we definitely want to get into that. But I want to start with Vans has an unbelievable reputation for collaboration. They collaborate with other brands as well, if not better than that, and 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 more often than most any other brands that you see. They're just so good at that. So I guess I want to ask first, why do brand collabs resonate so well with consumers in Asia? So maybe I'll start talk broader about Vans and then I'll talk about the second question about uh, collaboration specific for APAC. So um, for me, that exactly what you said, you know, was one of the main reasons I was so excited to join Vans, having been a fan of the brand, you know, all the years that I was working at other places. I think the purity and, and the focus that Vans has on their core consumer, on the skate and action sports industry. If you look at snowboarding, if you look at surfing, if you look at skate, the product, yes, but I think it's really more the ethos of the team and the people and the partners and, and, and that, you know, over 50 years of authenticity in that space was another brand that I feel fortunate to have, have worked with is that, that, that commitment to that core consumer. And I think one of the things speaking to the collaborations, um, is, 
a lot of brands do it because they want the hype. They want, obviously, the traffic. They want the sales. They want the awareness. And it's not that Vans doesn't have that mindset as well, but everything is born out of passion and authenticity. So when you look at a lot of the partners that Vans historically has done partnerships with, collaborations with, it's it's a mutual love and a mutual passion. And it doesn't have to just be about skateboarding. I think, you know, the creativity aspect of what Vans is known for, whether it's music, you think about the Warped Tour for, you know, North Americans that remember that 20 year arc that they did, where they were sponsoring music festivals. And obviously, you look at all the different areas. Again, I I use action sports loosely. um, But I think it's just the authenticity that you have in all those sports um, that Vans was 100% and always has been 100% committed to. So I think in Asia, um, we don't have as long a history as uh, obviously in America. But um, there's a lot of great stories that you could go back and look at what the brand was even doing 15, 20 years ago in China and Japan. Again, it's an over 30 year partner that we have there. Australia, another 20 plus year partner. So I think they have been able to be authentic in a way that very few brands have been over all the years. And uh, that speaks just, again, a lot to the team and the passion for who that they're really the communities that they're, they're they want to be consistently a part of. It's funny. I'm thinking in my own closet and how many of these brands that I have multiple uh, purchases <laughs> from all of them. It's pretty, pretty awesome. I wanted to ask if you could lay out again for, for the brand owners and trying to put myself in, inside of what they're listening to right now and what they might want to know. What are the benefits of brands doing collaborations with other brands? What efficiencies and what are the challenges and what are the things that you have to be careful of? I think the, the the critical part, and again, with all of the brands I, I've been with, we've done collaborations over the years, and I think it gets more and more complicated as time goes on because more and more brands across more and more industries are doing it. So there's definitely an overabundance of collabs, as you mentioned. So what I found that I think is the most important thing is very similar to your brand's reason for being is what is the reason that you would want to do a partnership and with whom. And what I would say, you know, the the one obvious, there, there, there's two levels, I would say, of collaborations. If you do a collaboration with a very famous brand or a very famous influencer, you're going to get a lot of awareness. So if your brand is not as well known in Asia, one shortcut, one hack that you can do is to find a partner that you could work with. And ideally, it's an organic, authentic partnership that you do that this person or brand wants to work with you because they're passionate about your brand. So I think you can look back at examples where maybe it's a designer that skateboarded when they were 18 and now they're a very famous fashion house designer. And But then when you tell the story, and it is all about storytelling, there's an authentic reason for that artist or that creative to work with this brand. But for some industries that are outside of our industry, it's it's a lot harder to maybe put those two together and it becomes more like a sponsorship. So I, I think that, you know, if you're looking to find an authentic one, you have to look at it from your local consumer's perspective. So if you're a Western brand selling in Asia and you're working with a Korean influencer or a Japanese brand, you want to make sure that as you peel the onion back and you look at the reason for this thing to be, there's authentic reasons for it to be and there's storytelling that you can tell as opposed to just putting one logo on another brand's product. And again, I think that finding those 
people that want to be part of your community that also have the ability and the influence to expose your brand to, to more people than you would just on your own. But it has to be authentic. That That's really the, the advice that I would always say is, is if you do it purely for commercial reasons, a lot of people will suss that out. And I don't know that that's good long term for, for brand building. Choose your partner wisely. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're saying here around the collabs is that the whole if done well, can be far greater than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. And, and so definitely look into it. We have to talk about the COVID thing. So <laughs> I'm going to keep this pretty, pretty wide open. How did that go? What did you guys do? How did you pivot or iterate? Or how did you just handle that entire scenario? Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier. The timing was really interesting. Um, I joined vans in uh, November 2019. So just a couple months before things uh, started up. And um, I think that, you know, the at the time, the the vans and the VF regional office was based in Hong Kong. And so I made the move up there, the family was going to come later. Um, but then when COVID happened, came back down here and then worked remotely through throughout the COVID period. And, um, you know, the thing I would say that is really a testament to to the culture and the the leadership of, of the VF organization and the Vans organization within that was we had so much support all through that, not only for our internal teams, but also for our external partners. So at the time, I was managing all of our distributors across APAC, as well as some of the smaller markets that we directly managed. And of course, you have revenue expectations, you have Wall Street waiting for earnings reports and everything. And, and the unwavering commitment and support from, from headquarters, both regionally and globally, um, especially for taking care of, of the people um, was, was amazing. So I think that's something that I was very fortunate to be in an organization that uh, was so supportive through that. Um, from a business standpoint, you know, the, obviously there were challenges and, and the unique thing again about doing an APAC role at that time was different countries were having different stages of store shutdowns of, you know, all the different aspects, supply chain issues um, that everybody went through. Right. So this isn't unique, obviously to, to the company I was in, but uh, as far as it went for us, what I, what I thought was like, you know, a, 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 again, a testament to the strength of the brand, uh, but also of our partners was that as we were able to stagger shipments, you know, or redo financing or and all the different things that good partners do with each other. Um, I was really, you know, including working with supply chain and the factories and, and manufacturing and everything. Um, it was definitely a, hopefully a once in a lifetime experience. Um, but I think a lot of it is being in a bigger organization that really cared about their associates um, did make it a lot easier than I think if you were a small startup or if you had a restaurant or I mean, all the different things that were affected. Um, but it did give us a chance as well to really focus down on what are the core areas that we want to focus on. And, and again, what's our reason for being amongst all the other choices that consumers have and a huge pivot to digital, which again is not unique to us. But um, that was an area where we learned a ton of things in the digital space that are continuing to be used and leveraged going forward. I think one thing that COVID did, I wouldn't say do did well or 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 anything of the ilk, but it really exposed companies that maybe didn't have the best financial management and maybe and and really didn't have the best relationship management. And if you have been skirting focusing on that and really managing that well, 
COVID exposed you. And I think you were in big trouble because everybody needed to lean on everybody else. And they didn't necessarily have to. But if you had that relationship, you could ask of them and they knew that it was important and it was mutually beneficial to work together to figure it out. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is that you realized that was something that you guys had. Absolutely. The the partnership spirit and support of people, both emotionally, but also financially, every aspect of it. I mean, yeah, the, I agree with you 100% that that was a testing time for everybody to see where where your relationships all were. Okay, we have to get into the Icoclonic uh, Kelson uh, Consulting. I mean, that's a natural move. I think, first of all, after everything that you've done, it was probably high time that you allow others to have access to the brilliance. So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now. Tell us about you know what the company is focusing on, what your work is focusing on, and then we'll get into stuff that you're seeing in the Asia Pacific region these days. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I mean, it, it is something that, you know, as you said, with all this experience and and the network that I built over the years, it, it very, happened very organically where a few years ago, a couple of different friends were starting up small brands, um, were looking to kind of go expand internationally from wherever. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful to have so many connections worldwide that a lot of times it's just putting people together. So really what it's shifting to now, taking a bit of a break, uh, life transition stage and, and helping a few different friends, some in Asia, some in Europe, some in the US. Um, in a lot of cases, like I said, just bringing people together. But in some cases, it's actually working with some small companies about trying to figure out what's the best entry into, uh, you know, it could be into Asia overall, it could be a specific market, it could be wanting to get into some channels that they haven't been in before. Um, so it's pretty early days for it being a, a full time focus for me. Um, but it is something I'm excited about doing as far as um, really just leveraging those experiences and saying, okay, how can I how can I help people um, get get into this uh, wild world we're in? For those that have done it, for those that haven't done it, for those that are thinking about doing it, how has the leap into entrepreneurship gone for you? Is it, is it, is it caused you a little, <laughs> little extra time on the ticker? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, eat what you kill is a very different thing than, uh, working in a big company. And, uh, I think there's pros and cons, you know, I, I really consider myself, my career arc to be fortunate having worked for a very large company to two medium sized companies to one very small company. I've had a bit of a taste of, of all the different ones. And I think for me, again, where I'm, I'm so fortunate is that when I look at the community of people that, you know, my network that I built up and, and the people that I know, everybody's been so generous and kind in offering to help. And I, I'd say that's one bit of advice that I, I'm happy to share with everybody is, you know, reach out to those people that you've built relationships with and just ask. Um, I had a lot of people ask me over the years and I'm finding that I'm getting a lot of that um, paid back to me. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Well, I'm going to prompt you for ways to get in touch for those who do want to connect with you in a little bit. They have to wait for that. I, I want to ask you a kind of a broader question of now of everything that you've done and everything we've we've talked about. Where do you see consumers heading in the next handful of years? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and obviously 
talking on the APAC region, I think one of the big challenges that we're going to face, and it's not, you know, it's not that hard to see is the macro challenges that we're facing, obviously global inflation, but really a lot of the geopolitical stuff that unfortunately is happening. Um, you know, it, it, it is something that's a fact that I think is, is changing how I've seen the relationship between different markets. Um, I think consumers at the end of the day, you know, the large majority of them are, are not wanting to focus on that. They're wanting more to focus on their daily lives, their family, their community, their activities. Um, so I think it's important, again, to go back to who you are as a brand and what it is that you want to be for, for those people. Um, and then also acknowledging that the, you know, an ever more competitive landscape is out there. Again, in our industry, if you look particularly at China with uh, the, the local brands that are there in every industry, I mean, it's so much more competitive than it was before. So, but I think even with all that choice, if you have a reason for being that consumers want to connect with you, um, there, there's opportunity out there. It's really just picking picking those points that you want to go to and, and also being realistic, as I said earlier, about your own capabilities and resources so you don't overstretch yourself. What would you say are some of the top things that you would advocate brands to not do when they enter? or exist in Asia that you're seeing maybe some other brands doing that you're like, ah, I'm not so sure you should be doing that. Yeah. It, it, this goes back again to, to my point on, on authenticity and, and, and knowing what your reason is for being is I think a lot of times, you know, it's always been that, that my whole time, it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that is China, right. Or now you could say broader Asia Pacific, so many consumers, yeah. middle-class up and coming, all of those things. That's easy to say, but I think you also have to realize in each of these markets, there are local brands that are singularly focused on those consumers and understand what those consumers are looking for. Um, again, all of those things from fit to trend to materials to color to collaborations, whatever it is. So I think that a lot of the ones, the famous ones you would have seen of like the cultural clashes where they're not being sensitive to certain local cultural aspects. I mean, that's a, that's a very clear one to avoid, but I think it's more than anything. It's how do you come into a market and actually be authentic for yourself, but then have that local filter across it, whether it's where you're selling, who the partners are that are, are, you know, talking about your brand. And there's so many different amazing ways through digital social media to connect with consumers that I think it's, it's how do you find those right ways to bring yourself to those markets, to those consumers, but in an authentic way, as opposed to maybe a ham fisted sort of too obvious way. Outside of talking to you directly or perhaps listening to this podcast, what, in your opinion, are the best ways, the best channels, the most efficient mediums for, for brands operating in Asia to really get a good understanding of their customers? Yeah, I think the the most important thing, and, and I think this is one of the areas that, in my opinion, will always be the case, is having on-the-ground knowledge. So trusted partners, whether they're internal people, if you can afford to have internal people working for you in a region, or external partners that have the experience, have the network, have the local community connections. Um, you know, For everything you can do on the internet, I really still feel that nothing beats that on-the-ground connection that you have and the lived experiences, um, you know, that people like us have had, um, if you can find those people and they are a fit for your culture, um, that's in my opinion, the best way to, and it's also current. You're, there are people living in the space right now. 
quick tangent into something a little bit more future looking. I wanted to ask just about the metaverse. Where do you see the metaverse's position as a marketing tactic, as a channel for brands? How important do you think it's going to be? And how are you seeing any companies leveraging it right now? Yeah, I I think, you know, going all the way back to making sure you know who your consumer is in our space. I think there's no doubt in my mind that for our industry, it's something that more and more of our consumers are going to be interested in, in some capacity. A metaverse is such a broad word. Web three is such a broad word, but I think there's no question that it's going to become more and more part of consumers' lives, especially as the younger consumers continue to grow. So I think it's important that brands have a point of view and have a strategy on it. Now, that said, I also think it's important. Another version of what I've said earlier is that you have to know what your capabilities are, your core competencies are. And you also want to come into this space in an authentic to your brand way, because I think a lot of times you see brands coming in and if you're from that world, it feels very forced. It feels like not right for the community. And I think that's another example of of coming back and knowing why do you want to be in there? It's not just about selling more stuff. It's about being part of a community. But yes, in my mind, especially in our industry, it is something that I think more and more consumers are going to want a brand to be part of in, in multiple different ways. What are a couple of examples of brands starting to leverage metaverse i mean are we is it product placement is it just logos sponsoring or how are they doing it to me i mean i think the easiest one to look at is what nike has done with um you know they they purchased a brand last year called artifact that um you know where they're doing combinations of digital versions of product and now they've just started making physical versions of it as well they're working with athletes on coming up with ways to bring them into the metaverse um it's just again it feels like an easy answer but i would say in our space when i look at what nike's doing not just Nike themselves, but how they're investing in tech and in investing in the whole blockchain world. Um, I, I think they're the benchmark by far to look at, but they also have the resources that only Nike has. So I think for some smaller ones that, you know, I, I don't I don't have any examples off the top of my head that I would say these are small brands that are doing it well. But I think the part that I love about the digital space is the the power it gives to creatives to not only bring their product to market. Market, but also get get paid for it. And I think that's an area where if you can connect into that space and, and be real in that space, working with creatives, that will help authenticate your brand by partnering with them. Yeah. And I mean, I would say go after it because I think this is a more level playing field than you might be looking at right now, because there's a, a lot of the advantages that the big guys have. They don't have in the metaverse. You can, if you're if you're hustling and, and highly tactical, you, you can be potentially more competitive there than you might be in more of the traditional landscape. So definitely agree with you there. I wanted to, you know, and I alluded to this earlier, how can people get in touch with you or follow you or listen to you or consume your knowledge? Tell everybody, where are you available at? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, just to find me on my LinkedIn profile. It's got all my contact information there. Would love to hear from any of you out there, hear what you're up to. Okay, yeah, similar for me and the podcast. We always ask a couple of names, maybe uh, one or two people in the, you know, in, in that region of the world, because, you know, we have a lot of broad topical stuff. 
maybe a couple of people you know that aren't replicas of you, but you think would be really, really interesting people, knowledgeable people to help us disseminating this information and education to brands wanting to enter the area. Yeah. So um, I have a couple names for you. So uh, a friend of mine named Mahmoud is uh, he's over at Tommy Hilfiger um, running the APAC region. And he was working at Timberland when I was at Vans. So I've known him from over there, but uh, he's got a really amazing background um, and some interesting uh, experiences to share. And then uh, another uh, friend of mine, her name is Jasmine. She started her own um, consulting firm called Epico Partners that is doing a lot of what I spoke to as far as helping brands uh, coming in from international into the APAC region. She's based in Hong Kong. So happy to share their contact info with you, Todd. Awesome. That's great. And you know what? Shout out to anybody listening. If you know of somebody who's 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 quite thoughtful and experienced with Asia, we would love to to be in touch and consider them to be on the podcast. Specifically, I would love to have more women. I know it's a, it's a nature of the game. We end up having more males than females, but I would love to have more women. So specifically, for those of you out there who know great women in the space, please feel free to, to push them towards us. So I'd really, really like to have more and more uh, women on the podcast. It's kind of a focus of mine for 2023. That said, thank you, Morgan. For those watching us on the uh, video on, on YouTube, don't forget we have the podcast. If you need your hands and eyes and ears for other things, then you can go listen to the podcast. For those listening us to the audio version, come see us on our YouTube channel. With all that said, Morgan, thank you very, very much for being on the show today. It was an honor and a pleasure. Amazing. Thank you, Todd. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.